Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. I'm not unaware of what you want to say, but I wonder about this. Do you really include injustice with virtue and wisdom, and justice with their opposites? I certainly do. That's harder. And it isn't easy now to know what to say. If you had declared that injustice is more profitable, but agreed that it is a vice or shameful, as some others do, we could have discussed the matter on the basis of conventional beliefs. But now, obviously, you'll say that injustice is fine and strong and apply it to all the attributes we used to apply to justice, since you dare to include it with virtue and wisdom. You've divined my views exactly. Nevertheless, we mustn't shrink from pursuing the argument and looking into this, just as long as I take you to be saying what you really think. And I believe you aren't joking now, Thrasymachus, but are saying what you believe to be the truth. What difference does it make to you whether I believe it or not? It's my account you're supposed to be refuting. It makes no difference. But try to answer this further question. Do you think that a just person wants to outdo someone else who's just? Not at all, for he wouldn't then be as polite and innocent as he is. Or to outdo someone who does a just action. No, he doesn't even want to do that. And does he claim that he deserves to outdo an unjust person, and believe that it is just for him to do so, or doesn't he believe that? He'd want to outdo him, and he'd claim to deserve to do so, but he wouldn't be able. That's not what I asked, but whether a just person wants to outdo an unjust person, but not a just one, thinking that this is what he deserves. He does. What about an unjust person? Does he claim that he deserves to outdo a just person, or someone who does a just action? Of course he does. He thinks he deserves to outdo everyone. Then will an unjust person also outdo an unjust person, or someone who does an unjust action? And will he strive to get the most he can for himself from everyone? He will. Then let's put it this way. A just person doesn't outdo someone like himself, but someone unlike himself, whereas an unjust person outdoes both like and unlike. Very well put. An unjust person is clever and good, and a just one is neither? That's well put too. It follows, then, that an unjust person is like clever and good people, while the other isn't. Of course that's so. How could he fail to be like them when he has their qualities, while the other isn't like them? Fine. Then each of them has the qualities of the people he's like. Of course. All right, Thrasymachus. Do you call one person musical and another non-musical? I do. Which of them is clever in music and which isn't? The musical one is clever, of course, and the other isn't. And the things he's clever in, he's good in. And the things he isn't clever in, he's bad in? Yes. Isn't the same true of a doctor? It is. Do you think that a musician, in tuning his lyre and in tightening and loosening the strings, wants to outdo another musician, claiming that this is what he deserves? I do not. But he does want to outdo a non-musician, necessarily. What about a doctor? Does he, when prescribing food and drink, want to outdo another doctor or someone who does the action that medicine prescribes? Certainly not. But he does want to outdo a non-doctor? Yes. In any branch of knowledge or ignorance, 
Do you think that a knowledgeable person would intentionally try to outdo other knowledgeable people or say something better or different than they do, rather than doing or saying the very same thing as those like him? Well, perhaps it must be as you say. And what about an ignorant person? Doesn't he want to outdo both a knowledgeable person and an ignorant one? Probably. A knowledgeable person is clever? I agree. And a clever one is good? I agree. Therefore, a good and clever person doesn't want to outdo those like himself, but those who are unlike him and his opposite. So it seems. But a bad and ignorant person wants to outdo both his like and his opposite. Apparently. Now, Thrasymachus, we found that an unjust person tries to outdo those like him and those unlike him. Didn't you say that? I did. And that a just person won't outdo his like but his unlike. Yes. Then a just person is like a clever and good one, and an unjust is like an ignorant and bad one. It looks that way. Moreover, we agree that each has the qualities of the one he resembles. Yes, we did. Then a just person has turned out to be good and clever, and an unjust one ignorant and bad. Thrasymachus agreed to all this, not easily as I'm telling it, but reluctantly with toil, trouble, and, since it was summer, a quantity of sweat that was a wonder to behold. And then I saw something I'd never seen before, Thrasymachus blushing. But in any case, after we'd agreed that justice is virtue and wisdom, and that injustice is vice and ignorance, I said, All right, let's take that as established. But we also said that injustice is powerful, or don't you remember that, Thrasymachus? I remember, but I'm not satisfied with what you're now saying. I could make a speech about it, but if I did, I know you'd accuse me of engaging in oratory. So either allow me to speak, or if you want to ask questions, go ahead, and I'll say, All right, and nod, yes and no, as one does to old wives' tales. Don't do that, contrary to your own opinion. I'll answer so as to please you, since you won't let me make a speech. What else do you want? Nothing, by God. But if that's what you're going to do, go ahead and do it. I'll ask my questions. Ask ahead. I'll ask what I asked before, so that we may proceed with our argument about justice and injustice in an orderly fashion. For surely it was claimed that injustice is stronger and more powerful than justice. But now, if justice is indeed wisdom and virtue, it will easily be shown to be stronger than injustice, since injustice is ignorance. No one could now be ignorant of that. However, I don't want to state the matter so unconditionally, Thrasymachus, but to look into it in some such way as this. Would you say that it is unjust for a city to try to enslave other cities unjustly, and to hold them in subjection when it has enslaved many of them? Of course, that's what the best city will especially do, the one that is most completely unjust. I understand that's your position, but the point I want to examine is this. Will the city that becomes stronger than another achieve this power without justice, or will it need the help of justice? If what you said a moment ago stands and justice is cleverness or wisdom, it will need the help of justice. But if things are as I stated, it will need the help of injustice. I am impressed, Thrasymachus, that you don't nearly nod yes or no, but give very fine answers. That's because I'm trying to please you. You're doing well at it, too. So please me some more by answering this question. Do you think that a city, an army, a band of robbers or thieves, 
or any other tribe with a common unjust purpose, would be able to achieve it if they were unjust to each other? No, indeed. What if they weren't unjust to one another? Would they achieve more? Certainly. Injustice, Thrasymachus, causes civil war, hatred and fighting among themselves, while justice brings friendship and a sense of common purpose. Isn't that so? Let it be so in order not to disagree with you. You're still doing well on that front. So tell me this. If the effect of injustice is to produce hatred wherever it occurs, then, whenever it arises, whether among free men or slaves, won't it cause them to hate one another, engage in civil war, and prevent them from achieving any common purpose? Certainly. What if it arises between two people? Won't they be at odds, hate each other, and be enemies to one another and to just people? They will. Does injustice lose its power to cause dissension when it arises within a single individual, or will it preserve it intact? Let it preserve it intact. Apparently, then, injustice has the power, first, to make whatever it arises in, whether it is a city, a family, an army, or anything else, incapable of achieving anything as a unit, because of the civil wars and differences it creates, and, second, it makes that unit an enemy to itself, and to what is in every way its opposite, namely, justice. Isn't that so? Certainly. And even in a single individual, it has by its nature the very same effect. First, it makes him incapable of achieving anything, because he is in a state of civil war and not of one mind. Second, it makes him his own enemy, as well as the enemy of just people. Hasn't it that effect? Yes. And the gods, too, are just. Let it be so. So an unjust person is also an enemy of the gods, Thrasymachus, while a just person is their friend? Enjoy your banquet of words. Have no fear. I won't oppose you. That would make these people hate me. Come, then. Complete the banquet for me by continuing to answer as you've been doing. We have shown that just people are cleverer and more capable of doing things, while unjust ones aren't even able to act together. For when we speak of a powerful achievement by unjust men acting together, what we say isn't altogether true. They would never have been able to keep their hands off each other if they were completely unjust. But clearly there must have been some sort of justice in them that at least prevented them from doing injustice among themselves at the same time as they were doing it to others. And it was this that enabled them to achieve what they did. When they started doing unjust things, they were only halfway corrupted by their injustice, for those who are all bad and completely unjust are completely incapable of accomplishing anything. These are the things I understand to hold, not the ones you first maintained. We must now examine, as we proposed before, whether just people also live better and are happier than unjust ones. I think it's clear already that this is so, but we must look into it further, since the argument concerns no ordinary topic, but the way we ought to live. Go ahead and look. I will. Tell me, do you think there is such a thing as the function of a horse? I do. And would you define the function of a horse, or of anything else, as that which one can do only with it, or best with it? I don't understand. Let me put it this way. Is it possible to see with anything other than eyes? Certainly not. Or to hear with anything other than ears? No. Then we are right to say that seeing and hearing are the functions of eyes and ears. Of course. What about this? 
Could you use a dagger or a carving knife or lots of other things in pruning a vine? Of course. But wouldn't you do a finer job with a pruning knife designed for the purpose than with anything else? You would. Then shall we take pruning to be its function? Yes. Now, I think you'll understand what I was asking earlier when I asked whether the function of each thing is what it alone can do or what it does better than anything else. I understand, and I think that this is the function of each. All right. Does each thing to which a particular function is assigned also have a virtue? Let's go over the same ground again. We say that eyes have some function. They do. So there is also a virtue of the eyes. There is. And ears have a function. Yes. So there is also a virtue of ears. There is. And all other things are the same, aren't they? They are. And could eyes perform their function well if they lacked their peculiar virtue and had the vice instead? How could they? For don't you mean if they had blindness instead of sight? Whatever their virtue is. For I'm not now asking about that, but about whether anything that has a function performs it well by means of its own peculiar virtue and badly by means of its vice. That's true. It does. So ears, too, deprived of their own virtue, perform their function badly. That's right. And the same could be said about everything else. So it seems. Come then, and let's consider this. Is there some function of a soul that you couldn't perform with anything else? For example, taking care of things, ruling, deliberating, and the like. Is there anything other than a soul to which you could rightly assign these and say that they are its peculiar function? No, none of them. What of living? Isn't that a function of a soul? It certainly is. And don't we also say that there is a virtue of a soul? We do. Then will a soul ever perform its function well, Thrasymachus, if it is deprived of its own peculiar virtue? Or is that impossible? It's impossible. Doesn't it follow, then, that a bad soul rules and takes care of things badly, and that a good soul does all these things well? It does. Now we agreed that justice is a soul's virtue, and injustice its vice. We did. Then it follows that a just soul and a just man will live well, and an unjust one badly. Apparently so, according to your argument. And surely anyone who lives well is blessed and happy, and anyone who doesn't is the opposite. Of course. Therefore a just person is happy, and an unjust one wretched. So be it. It profits no one to be wretched but to be happy, of course. And so, Thrasymachus, injustice is never more profitable than justice. Let that be your banquet, Socrates, at the Feast of Bendis. Given by you, Thrasymachus, after you became gentle and ceased to give me rough treatment. Yet I haven't had a fine banquet. But that's my fault, not yours. I seem to have behaved like a glutton snatching at every dish that passes and tasting it before properly savoring its predecessor. Before finding the answer to our first inquiry about what justice is, I let that go and turned to investigate whether it is a kind of vice and ignorance or a kind of wisdom and virtue. Then an argument came up about injustice being more profitable than justice, and I couldn't refrain from abandoning the previous one and following up on that. Hence the result of the discussion as far as I'm concerned, is that I know nothing. For when I don't know what justice is, I'll hardly know whether it's a kind of virtue or not, 
or whether a person who has it is happy or unhappy. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.